Hello, this is Open All Ours, and we're coming to you from the good ship in Kilburn with Trevor Sinclair, Mark Bircham and Kevin Gallen for QPR Podcast Live. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm David Fraser. I'm here with the three other regulars of QPR Podcast, Chris Mendez of ESPN. Hello. BT Sports, Chris Charles. Hello. And my significant other of six years, Paul Finney. Um, (laughs) Right, okay. As you've heard, um, uh, we're also joined by a fantastic audience here at The Good Ship for what is our seventh live podcast. No one's come here to see us. Um, because if you're listening to this podcast, um, it's going to be in two parts. The first part is with an absolute QPR legend who needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him one. Um, An introduction. Um, Playing just under 200 games for QPR in the 90s, he scored 21 goals for us, including one that you might just remember. Uh, Joining us in 1993 under the weight of a £600,000 price tag um, and under the expectation of filling the void left by Andy Sinton, he went on to become a firm fan's favourite before moving on. Nearly 20 years after leaving us and despite the subsequent England caps and match of the day big time, he still has a very special place in the hearts of QPR fans. Ladies and gentlemen, Trevor Sinclair. Welcome, Trevor. We got there in the end. Yeah, we did. Thank you for having me. Uh, great to be here. Thank you for joining us. The first question I have is, it is nearly 20 years since you left, or, or eight, 19 maybe, and you still get such a warm welcome. I know you played for lots of, a few clubs. You played for a few clubs, a few. Um, but QPR fans obviously hold you in, in high esteem, and we're hoping it's the same the other way around. It's reciprocated um, completely. Um, I was 20 years old, and I had four, year, four years in the old fourth division um, before I came to the Premier League and joined, you know, in my eyes, Galacticos, like very old teams, and Les Ferdinand, um, Darren Peacock, obviously big, big players, Anderson, Anderson. And um, it, I was daunted, you know, training, I was shitting myself. Um, <laughs> seriously, I was absolutely crapping myself. And the reception, the welcome I got from the players, but also especially from the fans, was incredible. And it's probably one of the main reasons why um, I settled so well. I remember the first game, I was, I was a, I'm probably lighter now than I was then, but I had a bit of an arse on there. <laughs> um, I remember turning up for training and Jerry Ford heavy boy, he needs to do a bit of graph. So I was doing a bit of work and it was a Thursday and we were playing Villa away the first game of the season. And um, we got beat 4-1, but it was an absolutely unbelievable game. And um, Les Ferdinand was like un- untrue. It was like unbelievable. I think we won once about 10 minutes to go. And the team played really well and he just tied towards the end. And I, I, I was watching the game from the bench, but I wasn't on the bench. I was just like a spectator. And I just thought, how the hell am I going to get in this team? And <laughs> the players that 
you know, QPR at the time was superb. And looking at it now and, um, and, and, and comparing it to then and the, the amount of money it costs to get these players fit, players to the football club and what's been spent more recently over the last probably decade, it's, um, it's a bit sad to see. You know, you've got a lot of players who um, have probably achieved decent things in the game and then come here, it seems to me from the outside, not being part of the club or not being affiliated to the club, just to get paid. So it's, it's, quite, it's quite worrying, but hopefully that's, that's changing. We'll come on to that. The one thing I wanted to ask you before the other guys jump in is about the price tag, because it seems ridiculous now to say that £600,000 is a lot of money in football, in football terms. But at the time it was, and at the time there was quite a lot of expectation on you. Did you feel that? Not really. I was um, quite a confident boy. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was one of them where I, would, I, you know, I, went to, I was fortunate enough to get out of Council State where I was brought up um, in, in Manchester and go to um, a boarding school and won a scholarship, um, which was the Bobby Robson School of Excellence. And I had you know, peers with me like Andy Cole and um, Ian Walker. And my the second year, the youth were, uh, well, in my year, I had Gary Flickcroft, Chris Naked, a lot of players I went on to play in the Premier League and for the, for the country. And uh, below that, we had Saul Campbell and Nick Barnby. So it was kind of a two-year YTS before he even got to Blackpool. So then when I got to Blackpool and I started playing, um, I thought I, I was ready to play and I thought I deserved to play. Um, stupidly, but I wasn't ready at all. I was 16 years old, I just left school. And, but I had that confidence and that belief in myself. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't something that I, um, I... I was a cocky kid anyway, you know, off the pitch. I was, um, you know, liked a girl, liked a beer, uh, enjoyed myself, but I always trained a million percent, you know, so always when you get out there, it doesn't matter what you've done the day before, make sure you're the best player in training. And I took that kind of philosophy or belief or uh, work ethic to QPR. Um, so when I got to QPR, I thought, no pressure, just do what you're doing. And then eventually I'll become successful at QPR. Trevor, I just want to come to this season. Um, it's been a bit of a roller coaster. Um, we're safe. So that's the main thing. Hallelujah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, when you, uh, one positive, though, when you came on the podcast last time, you said it wasn't in QPR's DNA to sign all these big money players. Yes. Um, and the positive is that we now seem to be bringing a few through. I mean, what do you think we need to do next season to, to get back up there again? I think continuity is very important. I think, obviously, we've had a lot of managers. I played with Jimmy Floyd at Bank, and I feel he, he did have... The, the, the real club's interest at his heart didn't quite work out, and you know, for whatever reason, um, he was um, relieved of his duties. But I do feel Ian Holloway, you know, he's been at the club before, obviously, he's had success at the club, he's played for the club in a different era where they were very successful in the Premier League. But I do feel they're going down the right lines. I just feel the fans, it, it's, it's hard to say, but I just feel you've got, got to be patient. I think. Les Ferdinand, you know, he's got his critics. Obviously, as a player, he had none. Um, possibly why he's not gone into management, because you've got to have thick skin to be a manager. Um, and I feel he's, he's a little bit um, out of that um, zone when you're um, a little bit upstairs. But I do feel, I spoke to Les, I spoke to him 
privately I spoke to him for the BBC um, and I do feel Les knows what the club's all about and what the DNA is of the football club and um, it is, it's, it's one of them where the scouting, the recruitment, you've got to search high and wide to try and bring in these kind of um, uncut diamonds and you've got to believe in them but it's not going to watch them for a couple of games and one opinion, it's many different scouts going to watch them on different occasions on a Wednesday night at up north somewhere, north of what <laughs> And seeing if they can still produce and seeing if they've got that heart and that desire to you know, want to be the best player on the pitch and want to um, make an impact in the game for their team. And I feel that's what Les wants to get back to. I spoke to Tony um, and I feel he's obviously sick of spending money on shit. Uh, so, so are we. Yeah, exactly. You know, as supporters, and I'm a supporter of the football club, and one of the first questions you asked me, David, was it, you know, um, when I came to this football club, I had expectations, and but the fans were outstanding, and it was kind of a, I don't know, it was like a family club still, and I felt that that kind of connection with the fans. I feel we've got to go back there because if you think about competing with the big boys and. I'm not even talking about the Premier League now, I'm talking about the big boys in, in the Championship. You've got to spend tens of millions to get good players in who are you know, proven and I don't think that QPR should be doing that. I think they should be going and sticking to their DNA, sticking to what's been successful in the past. And bringing in, you might bring in a two or three you know, duds where they don't work out, but it's worth it because I think the fans appreciate the fact that the, the working class lads, they've got the, the um, same kind of work ethic that they have and they come in and they want to do well for this football club and they want to do well for themselves and I think that's what Les wants to do, I think that's what Tony is desperate to do now because he's fed up with spending money and I feel that Holloway, obviously he's come from that kind of um, situation himself, coming, I think it was Bristol Rovers, so I think we've got to get back to that but it takes effort, you've got to get the connections in, in different communities and, and, and find them and players and hopefully we can start getting them placed at this football club rather than going to other clubs. What, what, what I noticed was, was um, Troy Dilly was on Radio 5 the other week and he was saying that he feels that apprentices have got it too easy now for not doing what you guys were doing, which was cleaning the boots yeah. um, on a minimum wage. Um, they're like brought into football clubs, treated like royalty, and then tossed out when they're, when they're no use to anyone. I mean, the, the offside of that is should the FA do something to help the kids that don't make it and everything else and also try and bring it back to the basics of what a DNA footballer should be, which is everyone gets picked up together. Because you go to these training grounds, the kids are turning up in Range Rovers, they're turning up in this, that, that, that. Is the hunger there, do you think? Is it too different to what it was in them days because they get too much money? It's down to having a good mentor. And, you know, I think you should, in, for me, I think where the investment should be made is in the coaches. Um, and I'll just refer to something that I've, I've been coaching for a while now although I do a bit of media as well, but my main passion is coaching. And um, I've been coaching for a while and I've been co coaching in Dubai, I've coached in Spain. And I feel that the, the blueprint in this country is completely wrong because you get young players who are quite talented, you know, natural ability, we talk about talent. It's hard work, but natural ability, they've got good athleticism, they've got a good touch, they've got, a, you know, they can play football at a young age. They need good mentors. Now, in this country, most good coaches don't really get involved until you get to 16s and 18s. On the continent, 
is completely different. The highest paid coaches are under 10s, under 11s, and, and so on. And that's because if you've got a talent, they need someone who they can give them the right um, messages. And that's not about, you know, oh, you're doing well and get these boots and so good and these lot will support you. It's about continuing that hard work that's got the, the, the children to that kind of level uh, and sending them the right messages. And what we do is we carry these kids through with, and I'm not saying anything wrong with, you know, coaches that have not been players because I'm I mean, a massive um, Danny and um, Nicky Cowley uh, fans and they were school teachers. So I'm, I don't, I think it's got, there's, there's definitely places in um, the game for coaches that have not come from a, a footballing background as in playing. But I do feel that our younger players need a better mentor and that takes investment and I just feel that on the continent they've got that right and in England they've not quite got that right yet because if you think about it if you've got a talented player and he's playing well and you're giving him the right messages from a young age all you've got to do is coach him when they get older whereas here what we do is we kind of monocuddle them as we all know and then when they get to 16, 17 and it starts getting more difficult because it's more competitive then you've got to sort, sort out the mentality and the work ethic and all these other things that are important in the game psychology, psychologically wise but I feel if QPR can do that with young players that are talented and get really good coaches in place there then once they get to like 16, 17, 18 they'll be able to make that step whether it's non-league football they, to get experience and then come back and have a little dip, in the, dip the toe into the first team and, and so on and so forth uh, Trevor, what, what you were just saying is fascinating and it leads on, leads on well to my next question. Uh, you said you were chatting with Les and Tony. Um, has it ever come up, the possibility of you going back to QPR to coach? It has, yeah. I spoke to Les. Um, actually, Les rang me and said, you know, what do you want to do? And when, he, when he first take, took over at QPR. And it's a difficult one for me because obviously I'm based up north. I've got a fantastic affiliation with the football club. They give me the first opportunity in big-time football. Um, and obviously the fans and, and the players, you know, I could go through the team now to a man um, that I still speak to. Um, and it's probably all the team. We had an amazing atmosphere. So Les did approach me and say, what, said, what do you want to do? And I would love to have just said, yeah, I'll, I'll come and coach 16s, 18s, whatever you want to do. Um, but in reality, I'm 300 miles away and to come down and take a job at QPR, it's, it's a big move for the family. Um, and one that I, at the time I wasn't prepared to make um, but I have still been in I wouldn't say negotiations but I, I'm always looking at the team um, speaking to Les speaking to Tony and um, you know hopefully one day in the future I've, I've just done my you know modules I've done my B licence A licence jumped through hoops as you have to do as a coach um, but it has been quite useful I have to say you know without belittling um the coaching badges that UEFA put on and it's been helpful for me for my coaching um, but at the moment I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying coaching where I am I've just taken on a scholar programme for lads that have been released you know the small guys the lads that have got a bit of a dodgy touch and, and I feel that there's so so much that you can give these players if they, to make them improve and, and give them the opportunity to get back into the programme so I'm quite passionate about that and in time hopefully you know one day it might happen 
Trevor, there's a goal you scored which we'll probably talk about a bit later on, but I want to talk about another one um, from 1996 against Man City. Oh, I just, yeah. <laughs> That's the one I was thinking of. Yeah. Um, I just saw it again on YouTube today. I mean, I was there, but I didn't appreciate this one, probably because I was miles away from it, but what a fantastic goal it was. 40 yards, lobbing it over Andy Dibble. Yeah. Um, can you talk us through that? Because Man City is obviously quite yeah. close to your heart as well. Yeah. Well, I, I'm listen, forget about politically correct and players not celebrating against the old club or the club they support. That's a load of bollocks. <laughs> I've just recently tweeted something about Danny Welbeck and United got rid of him and then he scored against United and I was like, he was celebrating. I was like, absolutely fair play because that's what he should do and forget about oh, being cool and, you know, calm down when you scored again. <laughs> bollocks. <laughs> I scored against QPR for Cardiff and I went mad, so excuse that, but... Listen, you've got to do it. This is you're playing for a different group of people. You're being employed by a different employer, and you, and if you don't throw yourself into that group of players, but sorry, that group of fans and that club, I don't think you're giving everything to the club. And for me, scoring against Man City, it was one of my. I have to say, it's one of my favourite goals. And City fans probably get the ump with it because um, it, I think Andy Dibble came out. He edited it out. He was about 25 yards out. I was about. 40 yards out and it came to me and it's just one of them things and I think I was what you talk about stats and all this bollocks and my stats at QPR were crap you know I, I scored like an handful of goals but you try things and I think that's what you need in football I think players now especially offensive players they're scared to make mistakes and I'd encourage players in that final third especially go and express yourself go and enjoy yourself you know and uh, the ball came out to me and it was on my side foot and I was already thinking about it if it comes to me now half volley I've got that one volley it's a bit of a stretch but it came to me on the volley side foot volley contact was superb and it, even if he was on the edge of his six yard box I'm not sure he would have got there because it went literally straight in the top corner poachers stamp so yeah one of my favourite goals and people don't talk about that but it is probably up there with probably a goal, a goal score for West Ham which yeah. was against Derby and um and obviously that, that goal there, but it doesn't compare to the other goal. I was, I was going to mention that bicycle kick for West Ham as well. You were a, a scorer of great goals. How much of that was pure instinct? Or did you just like, at training, would you practice bicycle kicks? Yep, yeah, and Kev Gallen, I don't know if he's here. He'll probably... Um, I, I'd, like think, I'd like to think he'll back me up for this. Oh, that's all fucking slaughtering. But I did. I was like, it was one of them where I was... I, you know, we had, we had a we had a, a decent social life back in that day, and half the time you'd go into training a little bit steady. <laughs> you know, you'd, you'd that was a shout training. from the bar saying "Still am" yeah. from Gallon, by the way. <laughs> it shows by his derby. Um, <laughs> but no, we had a good social life, and uh, I'd go in, and you'd be like, "Have a job," you'd get into training, and it'd be buzzing. And it was one of them where, if it came anywhere from the right-hand side, if it came anywhere in this region, I was trying to know if kick full stop. <laughs> so it weren't something that it was new. And I, Although it was, like, obviously spectacular, that goal, um, it was something that the lads had seen before. I'd, I'd like you to get a, a job at QPR, so just so you can teach that technique to our players. We're going to see more of those goals. <laughs> you know what? Um, I'm quite good at teaching that because... I need a mattress now. <laughs> accident emergency needs to be fucking. <laughs> but my kids, I mean, I don't know if it's genetic, but my kids do that naturally very well. Um, and at times I've done a couple of like uh, shoots to show the overhead kick, and now I'm like 44. I'd say, 
can I just miss this one out and get one of my kids in to do it? <laughs> in one, bang, straight in the goal. So, do, doing all right. Do you mind talking about that goal? Because you must be asked about it the whole time. And you did a hell of, hell of a lot of other stuff in your career. Does it get too much sometimes? Well, sometimes when you get Man United fans like, oh, yeah, he scored one goal and that was, that, he's down and out on that. Which I feel, you know, I do get the ump with that, but... I appreciate, I, you know, you look at my stats, I'm not a big, you know, let me just tell you one thing about stats, Manchester City played against, who did he play against the other day and beat 5-0? Palace. 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 David Silva was literally, like, he was like floating up there with everyone else on the pitch, and his stats stunk. He gave the ball away loads, um... He didn't track back, he didn't make many tackles, he scored one goal, but apart from that, his stats stunk. And that's for me why I feel academic people are getting involved in football and making a job for themselves because there's nothing more useful in football than experience. You know, I've been playing this game at a serious level since I was 14, and you get people who've gone to college, they can talk about a stat and it'll bamboozle you. They can put a presentation on and it'll bamboozle me, but they don't really know what's important in football. That Schneider little foul that gives a yellow card that stops a goal being conceded. That's not in a manual. This is experience and it comes from the heart and it comes from your experiences. So for me, stats mean nothing. I tried loads and loads of things on, on the pitch. Most, you know, a lot of the time they wouldn't come off. But the time they do come off, you produce a goal and everyone goes, what a goal. And I think that's what the fans go to watch. They don't go to watch someone who's got a 100% passing record on a game and, and, and everything's side foot or a little five yard pass there and a fact. People want to get excited, they want to get out of the seat. And that's for me, as, listen, it's, it's, it's position, it depends what position you're in, but if you're an offensive player, you've got to try things, and a lot of the time it's not going to come off. What was the question? Uh, if you get... <laughs> the question was, do you get up, do you, d- does it bother you that you get asked about it a lot? I get the fucking... Up. <laughs> <laughs> I get the ump. <laughs> don't, don't take it out of the stand. Finney. Trevor, um, have you got any stories about um, Kevin Gallon in particular when you signed for the club that are clean? <laughs> is, he, is, he is he still with the same woman? <laughs> what did he say? Well, I've got, I've, got one, I've got one decent one. We was in Latvia playing for the under-21s. And um, Kevin was a bit younger than me. He was um, he'd been brought up because he's obviously very talented goal scorer, superb finisher. And um, we played against Latvia in Latvia, which is you know people have cottoned on to Latvia now. But at the time, it was it was a bit of a secret. So we were gone there. We've won, and we couldn't get a flight back that night, unfortunately. <laughs> so um, Dave Sexton was the manager, and Ray Wilkins was his assistant. And I was, like, fringe... I think when the tournament started, I was young enough. But by the time the tournament got going, I was a little bit old. So I was probably the senior player in the group. Me and Kevin were playing first-team football. And I... Dave Sexton was my coach at Lillershaw, my boarding school that I went to. So I had utmost respect for Dave. And, um, obviously, Ray was with me at QP, with us at QPR. So I said to... I went... The lads like, go and have a word with him. We need to go out for a beer afterwards. We can't stay in here. So I've gone in and I've gone, Razor, 
Dave, listen, I'll take care of the lads. I mean, I don't understand why you why they accepted that and, and believed me. But anyway, next minute we're in a strip joint. Um, <laughs> all the lads are bollocks. And um, but I've promised Ray and I've promised Dave. We've got a flight at twelve. We've got to leave at ten. Oh no, we've got to leave at nine. We've got a flight at twelve back to. Uh, I think it was Luton Airport. So I've gone. I'll make sure all the lads are up. So ten o'clock comes by. Gallon, are you listening? Ten o'clock comes by. Everyone is in reception. Everyone's in reception apart from one player. <laughs> is that the player who's making a lot of noise in the bar tonight? Mr. Kevin Gallon. So I thought, oh, what is he doing? So we've all had a great night. You know, there's big players in there, Nicky Butt and, and so on. Robbie Fowler scored an amazing... I've shanked one with my left foot to the edge of the 18-yard box. It was behind him and it, somehow he, he headed it in the top corner. I was like... This lad's not going to be bad. Um, and anyway, we got to 10 o'clock. Kevin wasn't there. So we thought, right, we better go and see him. So we got his room number, went up. He was on the toilet. <laughs> so he was, uh, he was having a dump. <laughs> but, but his head was in the, in the bath. And he was, be, he was being sick at the same time. <laughs> Bear in mind, yeah. he's probably going to stitch you up in half yeah, an hour. I don't mind that. So, um, yeah, I never got trusted with that kind of um, <laughs> thing again. But it was a good night. <laughs> uh, moving away from the, uh, the bath and the dump for, for a minute. <laughs> I want to take, go back to that goal. I mean, I think we've talked enough about other stuff, so we can talk about it a little bit now. Um, now, I believe, you, I believe your future wife was there, wasn't she? My present wife, yeah. Oh, sorry. No, but I mean, at the time she wasn't... At the time you weren't married. Yeah. I was just going to say, that's quite a good way to... Uh, quite a good way to impress a woman, scoring the best goal that's ever been scored. Yeah, it's been downhill ever since. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen, it was um, my son who's meeting for dinner later. He was there. He's, uh, he was... I don't know what age he was. He's 24 now. Maybe a granddad. Oh. <laughs> I can't judge because I had him up when I was 20 he had his daughter when he was 22 um, so yeah he's, uh, he was there as well um, and Ben everyone knows Ben with the, the Mexican hat who yeah, yeah, yeah. so Ben was a good friend of mine at the time um, yeah I had a lot of good, good friends there and, and obviously Natty was there as well and it was um, yeah it was very memorable um, where's Steve? It must be great kudos for your kids, though. I mean, growing up to say, this is what my dad did. Is it? Show them the YouTube video. Well, they all play football, so it's kind of... I feel it's like a bit of a, bit of a shadow. Um, all my lads are at Blackpool um, playing football. Completely different. Well, the youngest one's a little bit like me. He's not very nice. Um, the, the, my middle lad, he's a centre-half. Really nice boy, very clever. Absolutely nothing like me. And my older boy is really technical and plays with both feet and he's a bit of a number 10, so they're not really like me, but they always play and I do feel a little bit for him. And any player who's, who's done anything in the game uh, must feel the same way. I just feel it's a bit of a shadow for them and an extra hindrance for them. Okay. And a hurdle for them to get older. That wasn't quite the answer I expected, but... Um, I, 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 I'm real. Yeah. <laughs> 
for that goal, I mean, he came last on the podcast. You said as soon as you hit it, you pretty much knew it was going in, which is pretty amazing from uh, 18 yards out in midair. Yeah, well, like I said earlier, I used, to, I used to try it very often in training, sometimes to the disgust of my teammates who were looking for a little chest down or whatever. But, yeah, it was something that I always enjoyed doing. I scored a few goals when I was young, um, schoolboy level and stuff. But, well, I mean, it was a, it was a ridiculous... Projection of, the, of the, the flight of the ball, but as soon as it was kind of in that zone, I just thought, go for it. And um, you know, it's, I'm a shit golfer. And, <laughs> you, know, you play a hundred shots, but you let one or two, and you think, oh, that was nice. And as soon as it came off the laces, I just thought that felt nice. And it was like literally, you break before with your hands and you look over your shoulder, and when you see it left in the goal, all them times that you miss, you think, well worth it. And the fans clapping as well. That was nice. That was, that was very, very kind of Trep, can I, can I ask you, uh, and we'll, we'll uh, throw it open to questions in a minute, so anyone that um, uh, wants to ask Trevor something. Yeah, and can we, can we ask Gallon and Bertram to keep it down in the bar as well, please? Good. <laughs> um, so your goal, that goal, is often... When it's compared to other goals, it's compared to Ibrahimovic, Sweden against England, quite often is brought up. Uh, Rooney against Man City, sometimes the Andy Carroll goal. I guess the Chan goal will start to come into that discussion. Where do you rate it in comparison to some of those? Um, quite different. I think Rooney's, it's obvious that mine was better than Rooney's. But, <laughs> <laughs> he shinned it. He shinned it. He shinned it, but it was a massive occasion. I think that's the difference. You know, mine was... A- Four-found FA Cup game against Barnsley, and this was a, a, a huge game against the noisy neighbours, which won the game. So, I think it's uh, when you look at goals and the importance of goals. Um, I think Rooney's would supersede mine, but if you think of, if you look at a goal and you don't know the scenario of the game, you would say mine was a better finish. Um, Chance was an outstanding goal. Um, I think the fact that he was running forward and he had to adjust, I think that was outstanding. Um, I really liked. Ibrahim Pitch's goal against England, although I was fuming. Um, I thought that was outstanding. That was an improvisation again, and I think it was just off the cuff. And I think that's sometimes where the best. It wasn't a cross field volley, though, was it? No. So, yeah, all of them come second, third. Yeah! We all know that. Okay. Should we take some questions? If you're wondering, if you're listening to this tomorrow, you're wondering why Finney's quiet, it's because his mic stopped working, which it's not all bad. Um, does any? Yeah, exactly. Does anyone have a question for Trevor? Anyone got a question? Okay. We'll carry on then. Well, no one. We we can't hear you on this, Paul. Right. Okay. So 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 um, we'll carry on. What I actually wanted to ask you was, you're obviously so two two things. First of all, you talked about coaching. My first question was. Do you see yourself as a coach or a media pundit? Okay. The second question was, because of the media work, and you obviously work in the Premier League, so to speak, how much do you get to see of us these days? I'll answer the second question first. It's difficult for me to watch QPR a full game. Um, I do keep my eye definitely on QPR. And on... <laughs> it's difficult for us as well. <laughs> And Mark, Mark Bertram, who's watching, has just said, even more for me. 
Can't listen. Um, I do look out for QPR massively. I look out for the results. Um, I'm always in contact with Les. Speak to him, you know, a couple of times a month and see how things are going. It's been a tough season for QPR, but I do certainly look out for him and know, know some of the key players that are doing well and the players coming through and stuff. Um, and I speak to Tony as well, and I feel that they have adjusted, and it's, it's going to be a transition time for QPR. I think the fans have just, I know they've heard it time and time again, but I think the, anyone can see that they're not going out and spending stupid money on massive players. I think obviously you look at what happened with um, the boy from Rome, I was disappointed in that because I spoke to him. Um, the, the lad for United that was it. Morrison. 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 Oh, right, right, so right. I had a, I had a chat from Levenshume, isn't he? Wherever he's from. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I had a chat with him personally, and I just, you know, he's a Man- Manchester lad, and I know Rio's tried to be his right, right hand man and look after him and, and, and get him on the straight and narrow. And so many different people, wonderful people in football, Sir Alex Ferguson. There's a lot of people that have tried to get him on the straight and narrow and it's been impossible. And I just said to, I said to him, I said, speak to me in a year. I can't be bothered. Speak to me in a year. Get your nut down and work hard. So some things are not working out, which obviously the club are trying to achieve. But in general, I think the club are going in the right direction. Bringing players in who are hungry. They're bringing players through the youth um, and giving them the opportunity. Um, but it's difficult for me to watch a lot of the games because obviously I'm working a lot mm. of time in media. And just before you answer that question, I'm just putting it out there that Trevor's glass is empty and he drinks a Guinness. So if anyone... It's coming. It's coming. So the, 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 the other part of the question was about you being a coach. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a coach. I'm a, I'm a manager. Um, I feel I can inspire players. Um, it's what I'm serious about. Thank you. You just had a drink put in front of you. Very good. Yeah, um, it's what I want to do. It's difficult. I feel, you know... I've, if I was a head academy coach in Dubai. I got a great response from the players. I came back. I contacted Blackpool because that's where my wife's from and that's where we've moved back to. And Blackpool just ignored me. And the reason for that is, for me, in my opinion, is the people that are in football, some of them are imposters. They don't know about the game. Um, they're academic. And if they brought you in as a under-12 coach... Before you know it, you'd supersede them. So there's a lot, you're a threat. So I feel that's one of the reasons why I've not got involved in professional football. And that's why I've set this Scholar Academy up, where I thought, you know what, screw you. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to inspire these young lads who you deemed not good enough. I'm going to coach them right. I'm going to give them the right tools to be able to get back into the professional game as long as they're happy to meet me halfway and work hard and, and, and achieve what they can achieve and be the best that they can be. Um, and then I went to Lancaster City. So on my last game... Was that with Darren Peacock? That was with Darren Peacock. So um, I contacted Darren uh, before I came back as well, after being pied by Blackpool. And um, Darren said, yeah, I'm at Lancaster City, I need a number two. So I went there. And my last game as a pro was the FA Cup final with Cardiff. And then I was picking up dog shit on my first training session. And I thought, <laughs> so what? You know, this was, I'm from a you know, working class background. I weren't bothered got stuck in you know there's a few of the boys straight away Trevor Sinclair we're on board a few of the more experienced players they were like alright we'll step back and see what's going on and li- literally all of them within a month had won over 
Um, I think I'm a people's person, and I think you've got to be that as a coach. You've got to be able to understand different people, and you know you can't you can't t- treat all players the same way. Some need an arm round them, some need a kick up the backside. And then there was one player, and he was the captain on the most money. I couldn't crack him, so I took him out, got him drunk, and that was that. <laughs> Sometimes the old tricks work. Um, and then from that, I had a fantastic affiliation with them players. Got them fit, started keeping clean sheets. Obviously, coming from my time with Jerry Francis about his organisation um, and, and, the, and we had a fantastic team spirit we left because Darren fell out with the chairman a year later the team got promoted uh, they've just been promoted as champions so I feel like some of the groundwork was done by us and you know players staying on their feet defending supporting each other delaying and all the different um, aspects of the game they'd taken that on board from us the fitness levels were a lot better unfortunately the captain at Lancaster City died of cancer so I feel like that really consolidated the players as well obviously it doesn't you don't want that scenario in general but sometimes it takes something serious for the players to get together and um, yeah I felt like I could do it with men and that was my first challenge with men and um, and now I'm looking forward to continuing the journey into coaching I think Paul's got a question um one thing I'd like to ask you, and before we go back out into the crowd again, if anyone ever actually wants to ask a question, which I think you should do, because you're not going to see Trevor Sinclair very often. But anyway, um, what was so special about that QPR team in the 90s? It kind of defied all logic of how well we did, because we didn't overachieve, we massively overachieved, and really should have won the FA Cup, in my opinion. We were the, probably the best side not to win something in that league. Um, yeah. Well, I, I, I actually feel we had fantastic players um, they wanted to work hard for each other and that came from the coaches I think obviously it'd be uh, I think it'd be a, a little bit um, selfish to say that we were, it was just luck that we came together so you've got to um, praise the, the, the scouts the recruitment everything that was going on at the club you know the, the network of the football club um, but essentially it was players that wanted to do well um, a manager that was a leader and inspired us to run our tits off and I say run our tits off and you know Kevin will probably back me up on this every every Tuesday we would run our asses off till some of the lads were sick and interestingly enough you know you look at players now and you've got the heart rate monitors on and this that and the other I know for a fact um, through working with uh, Asmir Begovic that Chelsea manager has come in and Antonio Conte has come in and the Chelsea players run their asses off twice a week. Now, I know for a fact as well that one of the fittest players that I've played with is Ian Holloway. And he will probably, I'm, I'm guessing here, but I'm, I would say he will run the boys without the ball. And I think if you don't expect to be able to get players and inspire players to run in training, how can you expect them to deliver and run off the ball? Because 98% of the time on a football match, you without the ball. So what are you doing? You either watching the ball or you running. So you've got to be an athlete to play in the game today. Um, I feel if I had a team, and I, my scholars now, I take them on the sand dunes. I run them. I'm still. I still look after myself. I run the boys, and I tell them to enjoy it because if they enjoy it there and work really hard there, when it comes to a game, it was second nature, and, and that's what you've got to try and um, pass on to the players today because. You feel like they just want to do all the silky stuff, get on the ball and enjoy mm. it and pass it, and, and that's not the game. You've got to understand that the players that are achieving good things on, 
you know, even in the Premier League, they work their asses off and they're very, very fit. So I'm sure that's what Ollie's doing. That's what we did. Um, but you've got to give credit to a lot more people than just the players and the, and, and the, and the manager. You've got to give credit to the scouts that were getting these players in because they knew that they had that work ethic. So it was terrible Tuesdays, right, when you were a player? It was, it was, yeah, but it was good Tuesday night. <laughs> I, I was, my, my question was going to be, does that mean there was no Monday drinks? Absolutely not, no. I mean, <laughs> we, we'd, we'd get an early night on a Monday because we knew what was coming. But no, it's, 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 it's periodisation in training. Um, that's what they call it now. They put all these fancy names and terminology on things and it's basically working harder. They call it what? Term, uh, sorry, uh, periodisation. So basically what it is, is working harder in training that you, than what you're working games. So sack all this red zone. You work your absolute nuts off in training. And then in a game, you probably won't work as hard. So that means you can control the ball. Your decision-making on the ball is better. You can control the ball. Even when you're fatigued, you'll still, be, you'll still be able to make the right decision on the ball. Some players train half-cut, and then they go into games, and all of a sudden you're up against a team that's pressing you. And it's like, wow, I'm out of breath here, and you're giving the ball away. You've got to work harder in training to make games easier for yourself. Question from Colin. Yeah. Sorry. You're right, Trev. Um, working in the media, the, the, watching the Premier League and, and uh, Match of the Day, etc., it seems like there's an awful lot um, of focus put on, on players' stats these days. I, th- I think you mentioned it earlier on. Sure. Do, you, do you feel like that, that there's, there's people in the game, like Opta and people like that, who are making money out of the game, who are pressurising players to pass the ball rather, rather than... Um, and rather than uh, playing with freedom, that that it, it seems that stats are everything these days. And I don't know whether whether um, clubs buy players on their on their stats or whatever. But I don't know. Uh, that, 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 that's my question. It seems like statisticians are making a lot of money out of a lot uh, out of football these days. Yeah. No, I agree. I think um, stats do play a part in the game and they are important. But to say that they're more important than, you know, um, a Jerry Francis or a Sibley or men like that have given their lives to the game, you, can, you, can, you know when a player is playing good or playing bad. And sometimes you just might need a little bit of a backup and you'll look at a stat and say, well, what's his, what's his running or? But if that's the first port of call... I think we're going away from what the game's all about. It's about excitement. It's about creativity. It's about imagination. It's about getting the fans off their feet. And for me, too much emphasis is put on stats. Now, it's again, I'll go back to it's positional. So if you're talking about a David Silva, who's a creative player, he's not going to make that many tackles. You won't want him to because he'll end up getting injured. He's five foot eight. You know, he's 11 and a half stone. He, he, you don't want him going to challenges. You might want someone next to him, like an Ian Holloway, who's a bit of a tank and that's his game going in. So it's all about positions and what your job is in the team. And this is kind of what I was saying earlier. I think Oli will be able to tell the players within the formation that he sets out what the players' role is in that team. And that's the important thing. Because if you're... Go back to the Euros in the summer. You've got a team there. I don't think many of the players knew what their role was in the team. Raheem Sterling didn't, for sure. He didn't know that his role was... When you get in that final third, take your man on and get across in, or create something. 
he was working, he was so confused, he was working hard, he was coming inside, he was doing this, doing that. They're all just standard things. When he gets the ball, his job is to create things. As a centre forward, your job is to get, yeah, link up play, yeah, fine, get it, get, get in the office. Like Les used to say, get in the office, and when the ball comes in, have your little bit of reverse movement or whatever it is, and get your opportunities. Now, I think a lot of coaches that go with stats, they're, they're relying on stats because they're, they're lacking in knowledge of the game. Um, and for me, I'd like to think that Oli doesn't have that lack because he had a, the same kind of education that I had with Jerry Francis. Again, I always talk to Jerry because for me, he's the oracle. He was so before his time. You look at the formations he used to play. You look at the way that the players used to work in training. The emphasis he used to put on certain things in training. And um, yeah, I, I do feel that too much is put on stats. Stats are there as a backup just to reiterate what you already know as a coach and what you should already know as a coach. And if you don't know it as a coach and you're relying on that, not for me. Um, 2012, Man City 3, QPR 2, City Champions, Rangers stay up. Was that the perfect result for you? It was. I was, like, I was living in Dubai at the time. I was in Abu Dhabi um, and I was watching the game and a, a, a couple of lads had tangerine jerseys on the quad. So I don't know. I was like, oh shit, what's going to happen here? But obviously, Joey Barton saved us all by getting sent off and <laughs> helping Man City out. But no, it was a perfect scenario. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the scenario was with, with regard to points. I'm not sure Man City needed to win to win the league. But it, it yeah. Needed, yeah if, if that was the case, then I wanted Man City to win. But I certainly wanted QPR to stay up. So it, was, it worked out for me. You're getting heckled by Gallon from the bar. <laughs> <Think. laughs> so, when you're at QPR, did anyone ever take the piss out of Jerry Francis' her? <laughs> Actually, daily, and, and he'd take it on the chin, and you know what Jerry's like, he, he can have a laugh. Um, and I think that was, the, that was the beauty about him. You know, he'd be serious at the right times, you know, we weren't push, pulling our weight. Um, but, at, you know, most of the time, training was fun, you know. And, you know, you talk about kids and coaches and, you know, going back to the coaching and what I've been doing, and it's all about, you know, the young players, fun, 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 and then he gets bollocks. It should be fun when you, you're a man. You should be enjoying yourself in training. And it was always that. It wasn't, and I think, Jerry, like I say, Jerry was before his time because he wasn't that big dominant man who would bollock you like some managers that I have had. Um, who, the reason why they're bollocking you is because they're lacking knowledge and they're lacking the knowledge to help you. Mm. So what they'll do is they'll just shout at you. Whereas Jerry would always know the answer. He'd always help you. He's like a teacher. And I think that's what the way coaches are going. You look at Pep. You look at Conte, you look at Klopp. He's giving the guys a game plan. They're all buying into it, and then they're, they're able to achieve things. And um, I feel Jerry was that kind of manager, and I think that's the way management's going. You know, you look at certain managers that have been in the game, and I wouldn't say stealing a living, but doing it a certain way. That seems to be dying out of the game now, and it's for a reason, because the, the coaches that are coming in now are knowledgeable, they know the game inside out and they know how to help players and, and that's why they're getting the results and the jobs. Who was the uh, shoutiest manager you had out of interest? Um, the noisiest man, the scariest manager. I mean, the scariest manager I had was when I was a kid and it was um, the late Billy Eyre at Blackpool. But also, he's a, he's a manager that you, he loved you the most as well. I think he's a little bit like Klopp. Uh, sorry, I think he's a little bit like... Um, Pep Guardiola, because 
I, I don't know if many of you have seen Pep, and he's like so animated and he's in someone's face, and next minute he's like that. <laughs> and I think I think that's what I think that's what um, Billy L was like. He he was frustrated because certain players couldn't take on the things that he was trying to teach them, but then he would always give you that love as well. And you know, as 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 a as a player, I'd always respond better to a manager that would give you confidence in a way where he'd tell you to do things and then he'd explain it and, and tell you why he was doing that and have that little bit of humility as well. And I think, you know, um, Billy yeah, certainly had that, but he was a scary man. He was a Yorkshire man. He had a, a massive, like, tash and he was a, a, a big character and huge physique. Um, yeah, and he was someone that did teach me a lot of things. Uh, Trev. Believe it or not, we've nearly been going an hour, so we've got to wrap up in a minute. But okay. I thought this was a great question that, that came in on Twitter from uh, Filippo Bettisoni. Um, <laughs> great name. Good old-fashioned English name. Yeah. Uh, which is about your top man contract. So when you were at QPR, yeah. you were the face of top is, man. Is anyone from HMRC here? <laughs> <laughs> well... His question is, how much was your top man contract worth back in the day? Which is up to you whether you answer. I remember buying a Sinclair bracelet. So whilst you were at QPR, you, you were the face of the high street. I was, Tell yeah. us about that. Um, I was just happy to go to have a little picture with the models. They were absolute <laughs> darlings. <laughs> Don't tell my wife. Um, no. We, we got... A, you know what? The, the, my... <laughs> My fee to go and do, that, whether it was with Jamie Redknapp or um, Dean Osworth or whoever it was, the fee for that was probably two and a half times my wages, weekly wage at QPR. So it was, it was good money. It was good money. It was good. But the, more importantly, it was good fun. And I always took it in that vein. And, you know, I knew I was going bald about a year before I shaved my dreads off. And uh, I thought, I've got, I've got to rinse this now. <laughs> Talking of fashion, were you there with the, the, the blobby thing on... Um, so this on was the, the Noel Edmonds, Mr. Yeah. Blobby gotcha. Were you there? Did you not suss that out at any stage? I wasn't there. Oh, were you? <laughs> I thought you were. No, I was there. It was ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know. It's, just, it's a weird one, you know. It's just like, what the hell are we doing? You know, but we all played along with it, and then eventually Noel Edmonds popped out, and it was like, all oh, right, you got us. But yeah, it wasn't um, something that I looked back on with. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? And why did the dreads go? Bald, baldness, baldness, <laughs> completely. Bald as a coot. You know, some people can carry it off. Um, I'm not sure everyone can, but I'm quite. I feel quite. Yeah, you carry baldness off. Yeah, you carry the. Trevor, it's been fantastic. Despite despite a, a few uh, minor sound problems, it's been fantastic to speak to you. Tell us, to, to finish off this part of the podcast, you're, full, you're in a room full of QPR fans yeah. to whom obviously QPR means a lot. Explain to us what the club means to you. It means a lot to me, obviously, you know, given my, my big opportunity to um, get on the main stage, the Premier League, back in the day, 1993. Um, I was 20 years old. It was quite daunting, I have to say. Even though I was born in London, I was completely a mank, obviously, by my accent and the lads made that quite um, clear as soon as I arrived. But I have to give like special praise, obviously, to Jerry. Um, I met him at the hotel. Um, what's the uh, a, what's the bottom of the A40? 
the hotel on the side. Is it a traffic jam? <laughs> Something like that. Hang a lane. Yeah, there's a hotel there with Hang a lane. And actually, the, 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 I'd agreed everything with Jerry. He sold the club to me. It was, it was quite easy. And um, at the end of it, he said, right, the contracts will get drawn up. We'll see you tomorrow. And that night, Kenny Daglish called me, Blackburn. No. And they went on to win the league. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a man, of, man of a word. And I'd already agreed everything with Jerry. And I, he really did sell the club to me. And, I, I, you know, I really liked him. So I just said to, I said to Kenny, listen, I've agreed everything with Jerry. Signed. But the players as well, you know. I have to give a special shout-out to Andrew Impey. Um, he's at the club now, which I'm absolutely delighted for. He's probably the most <laughs> unorthodox coach you could have. <laughs> if, you, if you picked, like, out of our team the least likely to be a coach. Yeah. Andrew Rippey would be first. So the fact that he's back at the football club, I think is brilliant because um, he loves the football club, although he's an Arsenal fan. <laughs> it doesn't, it's not going to cost too well, is But he does love the football club and he, he, he really did have a desire to do well for the football club. Um, obviously, Kevin, with our Irish roots. <laughs> Kevin, with our Irish roots. <laughs> he's, he's, he taught me how to drink Guinness. Um... But, and you know, David Bardsley, experienced England international, um, the late Alan McDonald, which is, you know, it's, 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 it's a tough one to even talk about. But the camaraderie between the lads was superb and that team spirit. And again, you know, you go back, we overachieved. We didn't overachieve. We had a great group of players who wanted to play for the club. And I think if you get that, you've got a chance. Now you think we finished, but Finney has to get the last word. into go on, Paul. No, no, I'm not. I'm just going to say, um, we're just four QPR fans who started a podcast. It's a very humble podcast. and um, apart- We can only afford two mics. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. Um, thank you so much for coming down and supporting our little podcast. We really appreciate it. And everyone, please give a big round of applause to Trevor Sinclair for coming on this morning. Yeah.